And welcome to Wanda's Picks, a Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. Yes, yes, even in the in the face of COVID-19 and coronavirus, novel coronavirus, we have choices. And we're going to be talking about that today. <laughs> and we are so excited to be having on the air um, sister who's going to help us sort of frame some of the questions that you might be thinking but you haven't been able to say out loud because you know like you know sometimes you just can't say everything you're thinking right and that might be a good thing uh, <laughs> um, so we have on the air uh, Mrs. Nicole Cunningham and uh, before I before I read her bio we're also expecting um, really wonderful sister um, Lisa Gashan who um, is the uh, president of LGI Branding Incorporated, and she is the first minority woman in the United States to manufacture N95 surgical-grade face masks. And I met both of them yesterday um, in a Zoom webinar um, hosted by um, Village Connect, and they have another one coming up um, February 11th with some other people talking about, hmm, vaccines, N95 in the black community, everything you want to know and everything you can think of and you can actually voice your feelings you know like your worries and your ideas and you know and share your experiences um if around around this disease that's hit the world you know in a way that um we couldn't necessarily um project it in 2019 right um, yeah, the year of return, you know, the 400 years of African-American history, and then, like, boom, 2020, like, whoa, where are we? So, welcome, Nicole. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for inviting me on today, Wanda. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. I'm good. <laughs> oh, you're quite welcome. I mean, you were just like... Wow, you should have been on the panel. And I'm so happy that Wanda Whitaker, you know, recognized you for your work in the community. Um, and 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 I was able to be in the space and like, oh, we got to get that sister on the air to like talk, you know, to have her own, you know, spotlight. So yeah. like, so happy you're available and and our audience is gonna just love you. So I'm gonna read your bio you. and then we're gonna um 
you know, kick it off with you, talking about some of the ideas and thoughts you were having about, you know, um, health care in the black community, because that's a real uh, real concern. It's been a real concern, I don't know, from when we first arrived here, our ancestors first arrived yes. here, right? They were, like, they were like, we weren't doing any house calls. They were like, the veterinarians were treating black people, right? <laughs> Right, exactly. If if exactly. if at all, I mean, mostly it was you know it was like grandmama and big mama and 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 Miss you know Sally down the block who you know knew about those herbs and going out into the Absolutely. forest and harvesting the you know the natural yep. remedies to keep us alive and you know we still got these big mamas folks that are still close yep. to those particular folk remedies and folk medicines. That's how come we're here, like not necessarily because we go to the doctor all the time. You know, doctor, you go to them when you you can't figure it out, right? (laughs) Yeah, I actually said, I was like, when COVID first hit, I was like, all right, y'all, where the grandmother's at? Like, where's the remedy Mm. at? Because that's the answer. (laughs) Okay, okay. Wow, I I didn't know other people were thinking. I'm so happy we met. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like my <laughs> yeah. Definitely, definitely, yeah. So you are a San Francisco native originally from the Fillmore District. Oh, really? Okay. And you yes. currently reside in the Bayview District, Bayview Hunters mm-hmm. Point. Uh, you serve as an alumni of San Francisco State University, and uh, and the uh, you, uh, San Francisco State was proud, I guess was a proud day when you um, were the first-generation college student, graduated with a bachelor's degree in child-adolescent development. Um, you've turned your long-term boyfriend into a lifelong um, uh, commitment by marrying your true love. Oh, that's nice. Lee Cunningham, Jr. You are the mother of two wonderful children who, alongside with your husband, support your advocacy and leadership throughout San Francisco. Your daughter, uh, Desiree uh, Lowry, has ambitiously followed your uh, followed you your footsteps and recently joined um, joined you in the alumni community at San Francisco State University by achieving her bachelor's degree in Africana Studies. Awesome. Um, your son Emmanuel or Manny Lowry continues the tradition of excellency uh, as a straight A student at the prestigious day and boarding school. Oh, at a prestigious day and boarding school in in the Bay Area. Along with your notable career as an adoption social worker for both the city and county of San Francisco, you've also aspired um, into a well-known philanthropist. Using social media as your platform, you take part in many philanthropic actions, staying on top of the COVID-19 updates, sharing information, following Black Lives Matter movement, and the many injustices against black people due to police brutality, um, advocating for a Hunter's Point lawsuit due to toxic chemicals left by the Navy, and also distributing and advising on different college scholarships available to black youth in the community. Um, you support many community leaders like <clears throat> Mayor London Breed and the Board of Supervisors President uh, Shaman Walton in their efforts to help heal the San Francisco heal San Franciscans, especially the Bay the black community whether through donations, sharing events, or simply connecting people to useful resources within their communities. Um, You lend support with community leaders such as Felicia Jones with Wealth and Disparities in the Black Community by making donations and supplying masks and gloves. You, You are also a member or you've been a member of Mega Black led by Dr. Cheryl Davis, and that particular 
uh, organization finds ways to appropriately spend the $120 million budget that Mayor London Breed has allocated to the black community. Um, not only do you avidly support as many black-owned businesses as possible, like Big Black Brunch, Cafe Envy, Vegan Hood Chefs, and business-minded black women who make who made or sold masks during COVID-19. You also advocate for people with disabilities and senior citizens in Bayview. Um, you draw from your life experiences to help support those around you. You are authentic, honest, relentless, and you don't owe any favors to anyone. You are a force to be reckoned with. And and if your friends, if anybody calls you, oh, that's just such a great greeting, um, you know, that you give people like you gave me, like <laughs> whether or not you're home, right? That was so funny. That's what did right. you tell me yesterday when I called you? And I said, you know, I asked for you, you said, what would you say? It depends. It depends on who you are. Right. <laughs> if I'm available, if you got the right number. <laughs> right, right. And it's so funny. And you said you normally don't answer calls, you know, when you don't expect them. But I had a name no. that you recognized, and so you gave me a little grace there. <laughs> I did. And we had a good conversation. It's like we've been talking, we've known each other for years and just met, you know, on, on matter of fact, 20 minutes before. It was good. Glad to meet right, you. right. Yes, yes. So, um, so Nicole, why don't you talk to us about some of your concerns about um, the pandemic and, and this COVID-19 and this rush uh, to um, to get shots in arms, as they say. Um, yeah, and, yeah, just maybe some of the questions. You have some really, really uh, good questions. And then, you know, we could talk a little bit about the um, – you know, the conversation we had yesterday, um, you know, in Village, Village Connect's um, mm-hmm. webinar. And, uh, yeah, and just, you know, sort of what you want to see for our community. And, again, I want to let our audience know this is the first of many conversations because you're going you're gonna to think like I do, like, oh, this sister, we definitely have to talk often. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Well, what a gift. I so really honored to be here again. Thank you for reaching out to me and um, getting my information from Wanda because, you know, I don't put a lot of information out there other than on social media. So um, I was glad to be on the call because I am a person who, first and foremost, I do believe in vaccines. So I just want to share that I do believe in vaccines. However, I am skeptical of the COVID vaccine right now. <clears throat> and I'm skeptical because and I'll be honest with you, it's the energy that people are putting in it to pressure what I perceive as pressuring black people to get this vaccine. Um, I have a problem with, you know, uh, superstars like Tyler Perry cutting the line, um, such as, the, you know, doctors are calling him and say, hey, can you take this vaccine <clears throat> so the black community can know that it's okay to take it. I have a problem with that phrase. He is not a senior, and he is not a frontline worker. So the fact that they are willing to, you know, let him cut the line so he can sell this to us is a problem, Right. Um, I don't like the fact that there's a, there's this tone that everyone is using, including our lovely mayor, which is these shots in, in arms cliche. And to me, that, that just sounds so forceful. It sounds abrupt. It sounds pretty brutal. I don't like that. You don't have enough vaccine anyway, but yet you are, you are hardcore in trying to make sure that black people are convinced to get this vaccine. Um, I, I just feel that I seen an article, this was some months ago, about Dr. Fauci which just wanted to let us know that a black doctor had um, was on the panel of making this vaccine, and this is why black people need to buy into it. And for me, that's not a way to talk to me. I enjoy Dr. Fitz 
and um, yesterday Lisa Fitz, who actually shared more backside of it and why she decided to be part of the study. And see, I could talk to her all day, and by the end of a few conversations, I could be leaning closer to why I would consider taking it. And I don't mind disclosing that I am a vulnerable person. I have been inside since um, since March. Um, I am comfortable inside, whereas a lot of people may not be comfortable inside. Um, so, and I have I have at least I've known at least twenty three real people, not just people on Facebook, but twenty three people who have tested positive for it. I have a cousin who has actually been in the hospital and and with a ventilator, and the whole story that you hear about how black people are treated. Um, are true, you know, that was his experience. And um, so I, I know COVID is real. I want to say that to anybody who thinks it's, it's not real. My personal belief is it is 100% real. However, I do not believe that the numbers of 400-something thousand have died from COVID. It could be 300,000. It could be 200,000. Um, and the reason why I said I don't believe those numbers is I've seen people's lives who say, who's on Facebook and Instagram saying, no, my grandmother died from, you know, a liver condition or whatever, you know. So I also feel we have never in this country experienced this type of, of a crisis and pandemic. So it's easier to label you covid and put you inside of a van or what is the big old boxes full of a bunch of bodies than to actually, you know, write the right thing so that you can have the burial that you need. I do not believe in our that our government is here to save black people and we want to save black lives. And I do believe we're dying disproportionately, but everything is disproportionate for us. And my my core belief is if you gave a damn about black people like you claim, then our police officers would not be shooting black people in the back. They wouldn't be shooting unarmed people. They would not. Our, our hospitals, my cousin who was in the hospital dealing with this crisis wouldn't have had shitty nurses, you know, who, who all of a sudden couldn't get his ventilator working, you know, because he complained earlier in the day. So, you know, people have a way of mistreating you you know, intentionally, intentionally causing harm. And I just don't believe that our government, who has intentionally harmed black people, since any of us on this call have been here and our great-great-grandparents is going to come say, hey, we want you to be in first in line. We want to help save your life now. No, you want us to be a guinea pig. You want to find out if we got some uh, Henrietta Lex uh, DNA up in us <laughs> so that you can take our stuff and save some of these white lives. So, uh, and, and some of us might get saved along the way, you know, but at the end of the day, I don't think that you're here to actually be a a blessing to us and be a help. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to discourage people from taking a vaccine. I have some very, very close friends who I love dearly who are on the front lines who got the vaccine, and I want to give a shout out that they are okay <laughs> from what they told me. They're okay. But I also want to say that there are people who are intentionally keeping the negative side effects quiet. And I'm about the whole story. Tell me the whole story. Tell me the good, the bad, the ugly, the wake up through the night, the high fevers. Tell me all that so I can make a, you know, a good decision, a mindful decision for what I'm going to do for me and possibly my family. So tell me the whole story. And I don't feel the government's telling us the whole story. Mm-hmm. That's right, me. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and our, our, our dear sister, um, uh, Lisa, um, is it Gauchon? Is that how you pronounce it, Lisa, or not? Yes, good morning, good morning. Gauchon. Good morning, Gauchon, right. Yeah, and, and we, we told our audience that you were going to be joining us, you know, the first 
uh, black woman or first woman of color to manufacture N95 surgical grade face masks, and you're also the pioneer of the patented biometric authentication two-way exchange software called PECX and founder of the Black Women. Peck, okay, thank you. And founder of, but I spelled it so people can find it because this is audio. (laughs) And founder of the Black Women of COVID Alliance, and you live in Southern California. So we were just uh, reflecting um, uh, on on yesterday's um, conversation, and you were one of the panelists. And I was just wondering sort of, um, you know, sort of where where you are right in this moment around, um, you know, COVID-19 and the coronavirus and this pandemic and and how it's hitting, you know, our people, people of African descent, um, you know, so far as wellness overall and wellness specifically around this and and how you came to um, develop this mask. Yes, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Wanda, for that wonderful introduction. I'll just uh, start by uh, piggybacking on what your last guest said. And, you know, we know Nicole. there are mm-hmm. – just... mm-hmm. Nicole. That... Hey, Nicole. <laughs> um, hey, there are just... <laughs> How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Thank you. Good um, morning. There are disparities, um, not only in the healthcare, but it extends through, as we know, the economic fabric of, of uh, the black community. We, someone like me, having the black tech N95, you would think would have so many doors opened. Being, I am the first woman, I couldn't believe it, um, woman, black person. I stopped saying I'm colored. I said, no, I'm black. Uh, to manufacture a medical-grade product, highest level of protection against COVID-19, and yet I have to fight so hard to get in front of businesses, the government, you know, billions of dollars in contracts, can't get those. And so I had to finally step back, uh, Wanda, and I said, you know what, nobody's going to save us. God saves. And so I've changed my approach to business. Um, That doesn't mean that I I wake up and my bank account's overflowing, okay, I can retire, but I I have to stop looking outwardly. And we have to, as a people, we've always had to fight. So what's new? And so with the mask, I'm getting involved more. Right, it's people like you all that are what I said on the call yesterday. We got to get back to that tribal mentality, black people. See, we survived as slaves because we we stayed in our tribes, right? Even when we were brought to America, you know, and then they tore us apart. You see, but how we survived? What they call it, the transatlantic. Uh, they couldn't even believe that so many people survived the conditions. Well, that's a testament to who we are. And so I call upon those memories and those stories to help me today. And with this pandemic, we, we just got to start asking questions. We, we got to start asking questions. And we can't accept that, you know, okay, take it, do this, do that, that's it. As I said, the first line of protection right now is face masks. And, and that was why I, I, I started making 
the medical mask. I said, you know, how can I help? Because I'm a, I'm a servant. I like to believe I have a servant spirit, and um, I'm about the people. So I, you know, just God showed me what to do. I can't take credit, and and that's what I started doing. So, so Lisa, are are you a scientist? I mean, how? I mean, a lot of people are designing masks, um, but right. they're not. They're not. Uh, they're not in ninety five. They're not waterproof. They're not. You don't right. spray alcohol on them to keep them. Right. You know, like to sanitize them and. Yeah, and you can, like, yeah. wear these on the airplane. I mean, they are as close as you can get to the one that they told us we can't buy anymore, the PPE. Right. You right. Know, and, well, and let me, yeah. Yeah. let me say a little bit about that. One thing I learned mm-hmm. early on is don't mm, – I guess I could say this. I don't believe what mm-hmm. the federal government's telling me. I believe about 5% of what they're telling me. If they say 400,000 <laughs> people have died from COVID, that means 800,000 have died. First of all, records mm-hmm. aren't – we don't have enough data to keep up with the, you know, the number of deaths. And we have a lot of people who are dying, and it's not recorded as a COVID death. So let's start there. Mm-hmm. So when the mm-hmm. government said, oh, go out, everybody started making masks, everybody and their grandma, that's when I turned the corner. I said, wait a minute. You know what? I know about fabric because I work in the industry. That's my hobby, right? So I, I have a fashion line. That's a whole other thing. We won't even go there yet. But I work with fabric. So I understood early on, I started making fabric cloth beautiful masks. And I said, wait a minute, this looks good, but is this going to protect me from that virus? And I started back in March. And I started studying. I, I got every mask I could get my hands on. And I started researching. To your question, am I a scientist? I guess uh, I, I'm one of them that went to um, – What's the place Romeo and his dad? Oh, uh, they used to make a joke about this college. You can go and get the degree, but I, I do have uh, I do have five degrees, uh, 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 but I don't have an MD. Uh, but I just have a common sense degree, I guess, of all the five I have. And I started researching, and I started looking at materials, talking to people. I was the only one on the street. I can remember a day. I was like, wow. I was out here. I was going to factories, textiles. I'm like, show me what this medical stuff's made of. And and these 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 people were looking at me like, this is who's this black woman coming up in here? And I found a company, and they said, you know, we used to make these uh, materials for surgical products in the U.S., but of course, we shipped everything overseas for cheap goods. And so the man said, but you know what, I'm going to show you something. And he showed me, and he educated me, and I, after that I ran with it. I ran with it. And mm-hmm. so I looked, and I said, you know what, why isn't the CDC telling people they should be wearing medical masks? Okay. And then I looked mm-hmm. at China, and I said, you know, people in China, they're not wearing cloth masks. You never see them with cloth masks. So I said, mm-mm, nope. Government ain't telling us everything we need to know. And, you know, something's better than nothing. That's true. You know, you do want to protect yourself. If you've got a cloth mask, keep wearing it. But at the end of the day, you need something that's going to filter any particulates coming in through. And you can't even see them with the naked eye, right? So they're floating around us all day long. And with fabric, think of it like this. You know when you get static electricity? It cleans, right? So it attaches. Everything attaches. Well, that's how your mask is. You just ain't seeing it. 
but everything that's coming towards it attaches to it. And because we're not, you know, educated on how to not touch your face, don't touch your mask. You know, people always say, don't touch your face. Even with a black tech mask on, don't touch your face because you're mm-hmm. cross-contaminating yourself, right? So I just learned through trial and error and um, how I ended up where I am today. Uh, that is really awesome. And, and before we move on, tell tell everyone how they can get a mask. Uh, spell out your website. Say your website name. Yeah, I ordered my, my four yesterday, and um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to uh, give a couple to my, my son-in-law and my daughter and another to a friend, and I'm going to wear one myself. And I'm like, oh, this is great, and then I'm going to order more because <laughs> okay. I'm already well, giving I them pre- all away. <laughs> I appreciate you. Uh, well, you know what? We'll make sure we include a couple extras. How about that? Uh, oh, you thank you. Um, oh, good, because I have another daughter, and I was going to have to order again for her. <laughs> yeah, cool. no, we got you. We got you. The thing about face masks, just keep in mind, you want something that is going to have what we call zero gapping. You want it to fit, like, the N95, people get confused. I talked about that yesterday. N95 is a rating. It's not a product, but it's been attached to a product. So N95 just means that 95% of particulates coming towards you will be filtered, right, or 99. There are are masks that are N99. And so uh, right now we have those little blue masks that everybody's wearing. Think of it this way. When you go to your doctor, he puts that mask on. He's not wearing it all day, right? That's for a, a quick Uh, examination, and then they throw it in the trash. It was never intended to be worn all day, okay? They're called single use for a reason. So that was something I took in consideration when we designed the black tech mask. You can wear black tech. We technically say 14 days because we are under the FDA emergency use authorization. Um, But I found out people are wearing them for months. You should not wear it for months. Let me say that. Even if your mask is holding up, I want you to switch them out. At least after three weeks, 30 days, switch it out. Um, You know, one mask costs you $7. So I I said yesterday, you know, would you spend $7 to protect yourself against COVID? It's a no-brainer. So um, the way you can order a black tech mask is just like it sounds, the word black, the the word tech, T-E-C-H, and the word mask, M-A-S-K, dot com. So www.blacktechmask, no S on the end, just M-A-S-K, dot com. You can go to the website. Once you um, order your mask, then you will be in our database. You'll get notifications when we, we, we have discounts. We have giveaways. We do, we, we, we're here to, you know, help our community particularly, but to to just do our part during this pandemic. Awesome, awesome. That's great. Um, Nicole. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, um, you know, other, you know, things you might want to say, you know, talking about the, uh, you know, the mask that, um, that our sister Lisa has designed and, Made available and they're not that expensive. Um, I got four for twenty six dollars. Yeah, I actually, I actually bought 
actually bought 25 yesterday. Oh, you did the 25 because, deal. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because, um, and I, Thanks, and I bought it. You're welcome. Um, because, again, the service that I provide is from a distance to the community. So I'm not on the front line, but I do, you know, talk and deal with people who are on the front line. So I bought them with the intention to give them to um, Wealth and Disparities uh, with Felicia Jones to give at least about 10 to 15 to her because she's out on the front line um, mm-hmm. giving out food each week, um, groceries to people, um, and give it to the community as well as some folks that she deal with are homeless neighbors. So, um, you know, me and my immediate family, of course, and I have a couple people, like I said, who are in um, in the hospital, so I'm going to make sure I give them one. But mine is, I, I, I like, I'm a giver myself too, and so if this is, I mean, I love the breakdown. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa, on these masks. I was just baffled, just blown completely away at the presentation of these masks. And, you know, now they're trying, the article came up that said um, you need to, you know, double up masks. And then here's your mask, our six layers. I'm like, this is everything. You don't need another mask. You know what I mean? It, you know, so I... I'm very uh, happy to, and I always support black businesses in office as often as I possibly can. So while on the call, I was like, let me go and find this website. Let me get here. And, you know, so I was able to go ahead and purchase that. And, again, most of these will be gifted to um, someone who can get it out to the community. So I'm, you know, 100% in, and I, I recommend that everybody uh, definitely go to the website, read up on it, um, and purchase you, you know, a pack of four um, if, if that's what you can get right now. But it's worth the, it's worth it, you know. And if you have a given heart, mm-hmm. try to get some more to pass to someone else. Yeah. yeah. And let me just add one thing to that. When you go mm-hmm. into hospitals and stuff, they'll try to say, oh, you got to change your mask out and put on this blue mask. Say, no, this is an N95. As soon as they look at it, they'll let you through. But I've had so many times they try to say, oh, no, you got to change your mask because now they're not, you know, the hospitals and places, they're not letting people in with cloth. They think it's cloth. They get up on it and they go, oh, okay, okay. So just wanted to throw that out there. That is true. They make you, they make you take it off and they give you a blue one. Yeah, don't don't do it. Say no, mm-hmm. no. This is an N95, and they if it's a nurse or whoever, they'll they'll look at it and oh, okay, you good. They can just look at it and tell. But yeah, that yeah. they try it all the time. I'm like, oh no, I'm not putting that on. Right, <laughs> you know. So yeah, mm-hmm. well, you know, um, what happened to me and my granddaughter um, is that they just gave it to us to put. They, we just put it over our mask. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we didn't have no. They didn't tell us because they wouldn't want you to take it off because then that would ex, that would expose them, right? No, they just told us to put. I mean, she like said, "Oh, this is no good." I mean, we didn't have your mask. It, we we had um, masks masks with valves in them, um, so you know that was mm-hmm. understandable. But yeah, they just told us to put yeah. the mask over their mask I and mean, put their mask yeah. over ours, and we did, and it was you know made it a little harder to breathe, but you know it it worked. <laughs> they were happy. They might have got enough. They might have got enough complaints because I know my husband's been several times, and they make him take oh. his off. <laughs> so oh. they may have got enough complaints wow. to say, well, just put it over. Mm-hmm. Oh. They made me yeah. I'm like, gloves. It's like, no, yeah, I'll take it off. Ooh. I wear gloves yeah. when I go out as often as possible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, and they had, I went into the uh, uh, doctor's office one time to take off my gloves. I was like, well, wait a minute, why? <laughs> But I understand mm-hmm. they don't want me bringing something from outside in. But I was like, wait a minute, where's the hand sanitizer? And, you know, they gave mm-hmm. you something, you know, um, tissue to push the elevator door. And I was like, okay, and I'll put my another new set of gloves back on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, I exactly. Say, 
Right. Yeah. Well, my my next guests are in the studio, and uh, definitely uh, want to thank both of you for um, for joining me this morning to talk about you know some concerns around around the vaccination, around you know staying safe, around. Um, you know these these medical protocols that are coming from a government that never cared about black people. Like so, why all of a sudden should we believe them, right? Yep. Uh, and about right. about being safe and about you know just remembering our folk remedies. Um, uh, you know, as we we you know listen to the science and we we make informed decisions. And and you know we got our sister here. You know, Lisa has you know nothing to gain except you know uh, personally. You know, I mean, of course she's a business, but she's our people. So, you know, she made this wonderful tool that's not inaccessible, $7 each or something like that, and you get them in bulk. So definitely we want to support her and support ourselves by getting this mask because masking and washing your hands and keeping your hands out of your face and staying six feet away um, right. and avoiding indoor con- indoor contact with people you don't know, <laughs> that's how we mm-hmm. keep from getting virus, right? Like, you know, how do you talk right. about HIV yeah. and AIDS, right? You know, use right. a barrier. <laughs> so yeah, similarly, right. you know, be safe. And so in the meantime, um, uh, Lisa, give the website again. Yes, and be smart. It is www.black, the word black, the word tech, T-E-C-H, the word mask, M-A-S-K, dot com. So blacktechmask. Com. We're also going to be making a full body suit out of out of our material. So when you get on that plane, you're going to be black checked yeah. down, okay? You ain't got that sounds about good. Put it up on oh, the clothes. That's great. Step in and step out of it. Okay. Okay. Oh, sounds great. Okay, nice. Sounds really great. <laughs> well, we're going to have all to right. have, have another you. conversation with you all um, in the future, um, definitely, um, because, you know, we, we definitely couldn't didn't touch on everything. Um, but thank you so much for joining us, and have a wonderful day, and, and be safe. You too. And, you yeah, too. you all take good care. Sure. Peace right. and blessings. Mm-hmm. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> sure. Good morning. Uh, uh, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Um, hi. 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 Um, <laughs> um, we are... <laughs> <laughs> like ah, <laughs> trying to get myself together here. Um, we are um, joined by um, uh, the the uh, editor of Poetry Flash, and uh, and the. Are you still the poet laureate, uh, Kim? Or 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 I'm not. By about a week, oh. I'm not. No, I'm now the <laughs> former poet laureate of San Francisco. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Which is yeah. amazing. It's almost incomprehensible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you wouldn't you know, it seems like it. yeah. Um, seems like, you know, it was just yesterday that um that you, you know, you got the position and and now you're no longer the Port you know, Port Laureate, but you know, your work sort of continues and, and Joyce, I don't know, how long have you been the editor of Poetry Flash? Oh goodness. Um a, a very, very long time, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a while. <laughs> yeah, Old yeah. Old enough to know, and I've been doing it long enough to know better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and both of you are joining us to talk about um, Watershed, uh, the Environmental um, um, Poetry Festival, and I didn't realize that it was 
is it the 26th year? Is that what I read? 20, 25th anniversary. 25th, right. And I remember when it started. I'm like, it's 25 years ago? Like, really? Right. Wow. That is amazing. Well, time flies when you're having fun for sure. Um, so tell us about, you know, when we start with, you know, the, the specifics of uh, Watershed, and then we can talk about sort of what's going to be happening at Watershed, um, if I read correctly, um, both days, the 30th and the 31st, and some of it is going to be virtual, and some of it's going to be on the ground, right? Uh, actually, yes, yes, there is going to be some live streaming, but uh, actually it starts um, this evening at oh, 7 tonight. o'clock. Oh. Yeah, tonight. <laughs> And and all the info that I'm saying is on poetryflash.org. Poetry Flash, like flashlight, with an F. Poetryflash.org. And if you go there, there's a there's a watershed page. Um, click on the watershed banner, and it'll take you there. And all this is there, including the Zoom links. But Kim Kim Shuck is going to be um, hosting. An incredible reading tonight at seven. It's uh, from forest to desert: indigenous eco poetry of California, and um, she's going to be hosting it. And um, there, they are um, uh, uh, all native readers, um, indigenous readers, who have contributed poems to two wonderful new poetry anthologies. California Fire and Water, a Climate Crisis Anthology, and Fire and Drain, Eco Poetry of California. So that's on Zoom tonight at 7, free. Um, and uh, Kim is going to also read, I ho- deeply hope, some of her own incredible poetry, wonderful poetry, hopefully from Deer Trails, your new book, Kim, your recent book. Mm. Mm. And... Maybe not, but that is Yeah, no, I will. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because anything you read will be will be fine, will be wonderful. And then um, uh, tomorrow, uh, I mean Saturday morning at uh, we'll we'll get ready, and then at noon, noon to two, we're going to do a um, Strawberry Creek Walk, uh, a reading with some dance and. Um, nature talk, nature commentary along Strawberry Creek that runs through the University of California Berkeley campus and that's going to be partially live streamed so part you know uh it'll be hosted for live from the creek but then people will be zooming in to read. And oh. then uh, yeah, and that's noon to 2 free mm-hmm. just buys that you just Sign up by Zoom. Then we have a um, major reading at uh, 3 p.m. Uh, or a more general reading is, is what I'm trying to say of Watershed um, with a photo montage of 25 years of Watershed and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Jane Hirschfield, Ellery Akers. That's where Devorah Major is going to read. Oh, okay. And, uh, who has been, Devorah Major has been working on uh, some wonderful um, ecological environmental poems, and she's uh, eager to share them. 
and mm. also California Poets in the Schools kids. Mm. And then that's uh, then the next next day at on Sunday, we have an open reading, a one hour open reading, and that's one to two. Anybody can sign up to read, and um, then that Sunday afternoon, three o'clock, we have um, another photo montage, 25 years of uh, watershed, um, and we have Craig Santos Perez, who's going to be zooming in from Hawaii, and um, uh, Brenda Hillman. Um, oh, nice. Uh, and Bob Hass and Joseph Stroud's going to be zooming in from uh, Santa Cruz. And um, anyway, that's it's going to be uh, quite the uh, weekend. <laughs> yeah, and Kim really is a major funny. part of it. <laughs> mm, Thank <mm-hmm>. you. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So um, uh why, because um, I, I know, Kim, you've been a part of Watershed before, but could you tell us sort of, um, you know, why, why how Watershed came uh, to be, you know, the reading, and why Watershed? Oh. It's, well, I don't know if um, Kim might not, I don't know if Kim really, really, really wasn't there when it started, but mm-hmm. it was basically... Um, about um, we are nature, um, you know, environmental justice, environmental consciousness and awareness and and, um, uh, being inspired about nature and place and who we are and hopefully that will inspire political will and activism to make things better, you know, um, change through art, art saves lives. Mm. Yeah, I got, I think my hook into um, Watershed was through Chris Olander and the Strawberry Creek Walk originally, uh, the mm-hmm. first thing I did at a watershed. And uh, when my ex, the father of my children, was going to Berkeley, I spent a lot of time on the Daytree Bridge on the Berkeley campus over Strawberry Creek. So um, that felt really connected. So I did a few creek walks, I think, before I read at the festival itself. The reading that we're doing, the um, uh, Indigenous Echo Poetry reading that we're doing is um, came about because Lucy Lang Day came out with uh, California Fire and Water and and has been very much trying to get um, bring a lot of attention to the book, which is a, a really good book. And um, the other book that's mentioned was edited by Molly Fisk, a former laureate of uh, Nevada City. Uh, Nevada City. It's uh, yeah, Nevada I think City. It's Nevada County. Nevada they, County. They call it, um, yeah. She's amazing, and she's always been amazing. Also associated with uh, California poets in the schools, and that book came about because of a grant from. Um, not a grant, actually a fellowship, which um, was from the Academy of American Poets. So that's that's how that happened. The um, one of the indigenous poets who's reading Denise Lowe uh, taught at Haskell Indian Nations University for years. 
was the former poet laureate of Kansas and is now living in California. She's an amazing lady. Um, the reading should be really spectacular. And um, I'm looking forward to it very much. Honored to have been right. asked to sort of introduce people. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I didn't get a chance to read either of your bios, and um, so I'm going to read your bios now, and then we're going to have a little poetry. Um, so Joyce Jenkins, as we already mentioned, is editor and director of Poetry Flash Literary Review, poetryflash.org, where you can find out all this information about Watershed all three days, uh, starting this evening. And she's presenter of the Poetry Flash Reading Series, Northern California Book Awards, and Watershed Environmental Poetry Festival. Her poems have appeared in Ambush Review, um, Zizifa, uh Addison Street Anthology, Berkeley's uh, Poetry Walk, The Place That Inhabits Us, Poems of the San Francisco Watershed, and Elsewhere. She is author of Joy Road, a chapbook, and Portal Introduction by Carolyn Kaiser. Um, her kudos are long, and uh, we're going to read a few of them. Uh, they include oh, the American know. Book Award. <laughs> oh, well, there's a few like that are pretty. Well, they're all pretty phenomenal. That's why they're in your bio. But um, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> the National Poetry Association's Distinguished Service to Poets and Poetry Award 1995, and Penn Oakland Josephine Miles Lifetime Achievement Award in 2006. Are you are you from um, uh, Berkeley, San Francisco? Where where are you from? Um, Joy, I'm from mm-hmm. De- actually I'm from Detroit. Oh, I am a okay. Detroit girl. That's and, great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh, had started out. Um, my my checkered, my very checkered academic career at uh, Wayne State University, which is kind of like the NYU of Detroit, and um, I mean downtown, you know, living uh, downtown Detroit, and um, I came out here in the mid seventies, came west, so yeah. and you stayed. <laughs> I stayed in a big way. Yes, yes. And you started growing. You started growing poetry trees, right? <laughs> we got a forest now over there. <laughs> no, kidding. literally, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was reading um, uh, my friend uh, Gene um, Howell, um, the, the second or junior. He uh, was writing uh, an introduction. Well, not introduction, but um, uh, reflection for um, an anthology of the. Uh, a celebration of African American poets and their poetry, um, which is happening its thirty first anniversary reading next Saturday. Um, this is gonna be a virtual mm-hmm. reading. And so, um he uh goes back to I think the first one thirty one years ago and he was writing about sort of he was about his his poetry journey and he mentioned that um John Ford, who was a teacher at uh, College of Alameda, where where Gene went and where I teach, um, that he was uh, one of the founders of Poetry Flash, and I'm like, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, no, it's true, but yeah. he didn't stick with it that long. But he did. He, that is absolutely true. Um, at San mm-hmm. Francisco State University, 
He was a grad student in creative writing, and um, exactly, in that was in 1972. That was mm. before I got to California. Right. Wow. Wow. And and then I don't know the the um, the poetry angels must have called you. It's like okay, he started this, but he's gonna need somebody else to take it over. So come west, young woman. Come west. Yes, that's, that's exactly. That's pretty much exactly what happened. <laughs> oh wow! Well, that's great that you you heeded the call because you are such a a poetry um, you know caretaker and 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 mother. Like I don't know anybody who does as much you know for for poetry than you. Um, well, enjoy. except for Kim, Kim, well, uh, I, I am, uh, Kim, I, I uh, <laughs> bow to Kim because Kim. In fact, I hope Kim, you get you read a poem because then people will hear how your work and 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 think about maybe coming to our to your wonderful reading tonight, the seven o'clock um, um, reading tonight. At, it, it is going to be quite a wonderful reading. Um, I'm really glad, Wanda, that you mentioned um, Joyce's Atlas as a poet as well, because I think people know of her mostly as a as an organizer if they're out if they're sort of outside of the circle a little bit. You know what I mean? But she's an incredible mm-hmm. poet. Um, yeah, I'm happy to read a poem if you would like a poem. <laughs> yeah, I want, and before that, I want to read a little bit about you. I mean, people who listen to Wanda Sticks know you a little bit, but they might not hold it in their minds because, like, it's been a minute since we heard from Kim. So let me remind them of who you are just a little bit. Uh, Kim Shuck (laughs) was born in San Francisco, California, and is a member of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma. And, you know, um, uh, Tulsa is having a centennial um, anniversary this year. Um, I had known Mm -hmm. it had been 100 years. It's like, Wow. Um, so were your people on that long walk? Is that how they got there, or were they already there? Uh, no, my people, uh, the Trail of Tears, yeah, my people came out on the Trail of Tears, and um, mm-hmm. two different legs of it, it sort of depended. I mm-hmm. I actually have a poem for that that's not done yet that I'm going to be, uh, I don't know where it's going, but it should go somewhere because it speaks to the, diversity oh. of the Cherokee Nation when we came to uh, Oklahoma. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, my my people were forced marched to Oklahoma, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, happened. and you received a B.A. in art and an M.F.A. in textiles from San Francisco State University, where San Francisco State is, is so in the house this morning. <laughs> yeah, previous You know what's uh, interesting about that? I was interviewed but... by uh, <laughs> by somebody from state about mm-hmm. um, the laureates of San Francisco, and they were saying, so, you know, you, you, it's great to have a connection between the San Francisco laureate and, and San Francisco State, and I was like, I actually think all of us have been associated with San Francisco State. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, wow. not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. in 2019, you were named an Academy of American Poets Laureate Fellow and awarded a Penn Oakland Censorship Award. What is? I never heard of a Penn yeah. Oakland Censorship Award. That's that sounds great. And then in 2020, you received the NCBR Groundbreaker Award. I don't know what the NC. Oh, Northern California uh, Book 
reviewers. Find a book award. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Got it. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh, congratulations, Kim. I missed it. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those, like, I, I, I think I'm only a name, but I'm going to have to come be become more active in, in, in like, for real, for real, Joyce. Um, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Anytime. We're, <laughs> uh, you know where to find us. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, Kim, um, please share some poetry, and then, Joyce, I want you to share a poem, too. Okay. Um, let's see. We're getting right to the end of January. This is my January poem. Okay. And stolen stars, all cold and edges, and the hope of feeling dance the moon of cold. Sing wet days sharpened again into the narrow end of the arbitrary decision of year. Make ink from the grounds of medicine we have taken. Thread a needle we will call reclaiming and pull the cut edges of this place close enough to stitch. So that was my January poem. Of course, it was written before the drama. (laughs) Um, And then this one's actually for Strawberry Creek. Creek water opens for the rain, opens and is swirled like my grand did to ask the water questions. And I don't know what ritual this is, but rummage my purse for some tobacco to offer. It's been years since I smoked, and there is no tobacco, so I leave a cough drop. There's something about honey, something the creek might take as an offering as we both sit, lifting faces to the rain that we have spent time singing for, the rain that asks us questions here by these eager trees. Beautiful. Yeah, really Thank beautiful. you. Yeah, and I was wondering, beautiful. do you ever share um, works in progress? Like, could you share some of that poem um, about the long walk before it's finished, or, <laughs> or do you just share it when it's done? It's really unfinished, but uh, oh. I'll just tip my hand a little bit. In part, it's scolding the Cherokee Nation for the times they've excluded our relatives. So hmm. it'll be one to share for sure. Okay. Cool, cool. Yeah. And Joyce, do you want to share a poem? Yes. Actually, what I thought was um, rather than a, um, one of mine, because I'm not reading at Watershed, this is a poem mm-hmm. that uh, by Ellery Akers, who's reading at Watershed. Um, she's actually going to be reading on Saturday um from three to in the three to five thirty slot, but mm-hmm. um it's called lesions Ellery acres starfish have been dying by the millions along the u s u s west coast daily mail whenever a species gets stubbed out like this, I feel the border of our lives is fraying. The map of the sea yanked blank in one corner. Sometimes I think we're holding the the diameter of the earth in our hands, an elastic band stretched tight, and we're living in the years before it snaps back and tosses animals and trees and us away. Maybe we should write a letter to those people of the future. Here is the earth. Love it for us. It's hard to believe, but we loved it too. Mm. Mm. Nice. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. So, Joyce, we have time for you to read one of your own. Um, okay. Um, I just, uh, you know, Wanda, I was kidding about the, uh, uh, your listeners might not know that you're actually a member of the Northern California Book Reviewers. That's why I was, <laughs> that's why I was teasing you. But, um, <laughs> but you've been a, you've been an esteemed member for, for, for years, so. Thank you. It's just that this uh, pandemic time has been so hard to keep track of anything. We've all, we, you know, it was just uh, wild to have the book awards during this time. But um, let's see. I have a, this is a short poem hopefully short enough, about Oakland. It's called The Oakland Paradigm. Every day we paint a new picture. Paper stars hang from the ceiling with silver thread. New people, new hats, make the old ones obsolete. The street is covered with charcoal gray clouds, a neon marquee. Every day we need a place to begin, a place to be glad about. We went to the pub and found cheer in the glasses. The words danced on the table, high on the chair back. These streets have held their space forever, as forever as the West Coast gets. What joy to share the old wood, brown brick, the raucous music, scooters living free, the silken air, the golden light, rosy orange, bicycles whizzing past. Kindness dances on the edge of the razor. Kindness skids like drops into hot grease. Work calls with reminders, a siren. Surrounded with beauty, we find our way home. Lights reflect in the water. Soft slap of lake on rowboats. Terracotta tile, art deco storefronts. The wide stone plaza, boom boxes, pho noodles, sushi villa, and bowls of Thai cuisine, the honk of geese. Mm-hmm. I know we, we don't often uh, think about, you know, the beauty of uh, of Oakland, but great beauty in that city. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it is. That was really lovely. Ah. Uh, Kim, you want to read another one? Okay. Um, I just had this really big flash of the uh, the um, work that we did together that made us meet originally. Um, this is oh. also about water. I'm going to read a small part of it. <laughs> um, it's called. It's from. It's from my most recent chapbook, Who's Water, which. Um, place a book on April Fool's Day in the middle of a pandemic. It's just a little pro mm-hmm. tip there. Um, <laughs> whose water do we cross here at the Martinez Bridge? Americans defined by crossing water. Atlantic, Mississippi, Rio Grande, Pacific defined by the water that clings in our hair, in our blood. These blacktop waters, yardsticks of imagination, heft of curiosity, draping like prophecy to the tragedy. Whose water we fling ourselves to Nevada City, Sparks, to Tonopah, 
whose sacred places dusted with the abandoned nests of settlers, dead homes, dead towns by the river highways, the slow and patient places, a brick chimney, a broken-backed barn, Wow, that was beautiful. Mm. Thank you. It's really long oh, yeah. poem, actually, beautiful. but that's a piece of it. Thank oh, you. wow. Yeah, who's water? So where where do we get your books, Kim? Do we go to your website uh, and, you, and you tell us how to do it from there? How does it? How do we do it? Well, uh, the two best places to get um, my most recent books right now, I believe, um, mm-hmm. Joyce, you've you've arranged through Pegasus to have people get. um, Yeah. 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 Okay. Pegasus. Um, So Pegasus books has, uh, um, uh, deer trails right now. And then the other one, um, whose water is available through mammoth publications online. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you just say Kim Shack mammoth publications, it pulls it right up. Okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, like black folks, we're like, water? Oh, yes, we got to get that. Yes. <laughs> what, what, Kim, what, Kim was, what Kim was referring to was the, um, there is a uh, Pegasus Books, which is a wonderful independent uh, bookstore in Berkeley and in mm-hmm. Oakland, uh, made a uh, online bookstore, online bookshop for watershed mm-hmm. so that, um, Oh, people could buy nice. the books by the by the readers and participants. And the two anthologies that we're talking about, the two anthologies that are from the reading that Kim is going to host and read at tonight, and Devorah mm-hmm. Major's new book and and other yeah. books, mm-hmm. that's what Kim's referring to is uh, is on uh, the book. The link is on um, the watershed page of the Poetry Flash, poetryflash dot oh. org. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and I'm linking to it as well. Oh, this has been so lovely. Ah, it's, it's great to start your morning with poetry. Ah, and both <laughs> all of the selection was so, so, so lovely. Gosh, and so um, I just love, you know, the the sense of place. You know, Strawberry Creek and Oakland and Oklahoma, and you know, like, and then all the waterways, right, which are what makes the world what it is. That's why we got to keep them clear. Mm. Because wa- we're one of the waterways, right, people? <laughs> All that water flowing through our bodies, right? We're mostly water, right? <laughs> Walking around creeks. Yeah, totally. Creeks that wander. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, I love that. Creeks that wander. Is that in one of your poems, too? It is, actually. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> um, I can't remember. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I think it might be in, it might be in, in Deer Trail. Actually. Okay. <laughs> okay well i'll see you tonight that sounds really wonderful and uh as much of the weekend as i can i'm gonna probably yeah yeah i'll be there to, i'll be there on on saturday and we'll see about sunday <laughs> i know so. well thank you so much for this wanda it's 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 so lovely to to get a chance to talk to you and kim and um thank you Oh, you're Thank quite you welcome. Thank you for having Next time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And next time we'll give you a little more more, more notice. <laughs> 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 so all the other poets that we tried that you tried to get like in such a short time frame, Joyce, and that was really great that you even tried. Um, we'll have more notice too. <laughs> <laughs> 
But hey, I like it when people are, okay. you know, are well, spontaneous and available. So I appreciate it. It's been really great. Thank and you. look forward to um, the watershed on this 25th anniversary. C- congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Peace and blessings. Bye. <laughs> Good morning, uh, Diane. How are you? Good morning, Wanda. I'm very well. Thank you this morning. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Congratulations on on a new work that's so so like you know like topical. It's like ah, and I'm so happy that folks are gonna be able to uh, see the uh, the excerpt um, in in its um, rebroadcast. Um, you know, as a part of Playground uh, solo series, so that's really awesome. And and for folks that don't. Um, you know, recall your name, uh, Diane Barnes, Dr. Diane Barnes. Um, your, you know, your really well-known piece. Um, uh, what's the name of that particular piece? The one that you know, sort yes. of, is yeah, my stroke of luck. It, it's been my, running off yes. for the last, I guess, well, three years, ending in last March. <laughs> okay. But, okay. Yeah. My, yeah. Go ahead. No, I said My Stroke of Luck is the name of that. My Stroke of Yeah, yeah. And then your new work, uh, I guess that debuted in 2020, is Not One of Us. And um, it says, The murder of George Floyd inspired your new work in progress, exploring the intersection of race, class, privilege, and gender in your life. And the work addresses systemic racism, including medical discrepancies. And, like, yeah, it's just it's just like wow, and you're a doctor too. Like, oh man, you know you could just do your play, and then like let's just spend the evening talking about how this sits with us, right? I, <laughs> we have so many this, questions <laughs> for for sure. Um, actually, it premiered a week ago at Playground. Um, yes, I started yes. writing it the day after George Floyd was murdered. Although I didn't mm. know that this what I was writing. It just yes. all my writing sort of converged at that point. You know, we we've been in we'd been in lockdown for several months and mm-hmm. it was a very unmoored feeling, right? Um mm-hmm. it, you know, I have a, my pod was one <laughs> plus my dog. So, it was a very um isolating and challenging time and then the murder of George Floyd came and it was like yeah. all of a sudden all everything about my whole life began to look rush at me in a different in different ways and so many of the some of the stories i tell in this show which will be on february 5th um online at at seven o'clock but getting a ticket gives you free streaming for on demand for seven days um but uh this work really um, it's just so close to my heart. For the first time, I've told stories that I haven't told for 40 years about mm. things that went on during, in medicine and in my training mm-hmm. that really, um, you know, all of us know this is a 400-year-old set of issues, right? Um, right, that have been expressed differently over the years. But there's something about today where it's just so important for artists to speak up and speak out as well as, you know, I, I, I'm of an age group that it was not safe for me to do anything in the summer, you know, so in, in any of the protests, but I can do in my own way with writing and performing, I can say 
a, a lot that needs to be said and reach a lot of people. So I'm really excited about this piece. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yes. And um, and because I was just thinking, you know, when when George Floyd was was so brutally executed, uh, right, right, you know, in front of an audience, um, but this was not this was not theater. This was you know, happening, like, for real, somebody, like, he didn't get up afterwards, say, okay, well, let's, you know, let's take a little break now, and, you know, you can go have refreshments or whatever, it's like, you know, he was killed, and it was on Memorial Day, right, and it was also um, the day, um, you know, Africa Day, and African Liberation Day, I mean, of all days, right, so when that day rolls around, you know, this year in May, you know, we're gonna, like, all those feelings, you know, will, will come up. You know, at a time when we're, you know, we're also, we know, it's a time when we honor, honor, you know, the dead, um, you know, in Memorial Day. And, um, but it's also a day of celebration, but it's going to be a day of mourning because all this stuff that happened, you know, and subsequently around, you know, Black Lives Matter and the the youth taken to the street and in large numbers despite um, the, uh, the pandemic, you know, it was just yeah. like, this is enough, it's enough. Yeah, yes, I'm really happy that, you know, the Playground Virtual Solo Festival is um, continuing, you know, with your yeah. um, your piece, Not One, Not One of Us uh, Medical Spinoff, um, on Friday, February 5th, as you mentioned, 7 p.m. Pacific Time. And on your website, dianebarnes415.com, Barnes um, with the S-B-A-R-N-E-S, uh, um, you give people a, a code <laughs> so yes. that they can, um, you know, I don't know, I think it's $25. And so um, it, it's 15 or 25 if you're hosting a viewing party, you know, but okay. uh, yeah. basic 15. Mm-hmm. And there's a, right, you know, right. a dollar facility fee. But yes, mm-hmm. on my website, and it turns out Diane Barnes is one of the most common names. There must be 200 of us. <laughs> <laughs> so I added oh, really? my area. So it's Diane Barnes four one five. You know that. Oh, that's why you put four one five. Yes, straight in the Bay Area. I know somebody said four fifteen. Is that a, a lucky number for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, and um, it's under the page new work. You know the tabs are at the top. That be, the website was built for my stroke of luck, of course, and a lot of the, the content is regarding that show. But there's also a preview available of this show at the bottom of the uh, page, um, the new work page, which is called uh, Motherland. Um, because this um, show, not one of us, the medical spinoff, um, spans Nigeria where I worked uh, for a summer in Lagos Island Maternity Hospital and had mm-hmm. very different experiences. And then my training and practice my training back east and then my practicing. So um, it's called Motherland. The segment that's up, there, if you need a preview, is uh, at the bottom of the page. The top, there's another um, excerpt there, but that's from not one of us, Ancestors, which isn't completed yet. So that one mm-hmm. is a preview, but not of the show that you could see on Friday. Yeah, really, really looking forward to ancestors. I'm like the Aegon. Oh my goodness, Aegon gone. I'm like, ah, oh, <laughs> totally want to see where you go with that theme. That yeah, that one is really chapter. fun. Very mm-hmm. fun. I mean, of course, we all are looking back into history that's opaque to us, right? Um, mm-hmm. Without names and without records and without birth certificates, it really gets hard a few generations back. Um, mm-hmm. But 
that is one place for the artist's imagination to mm-hmm. to fill in some of what's missing. So it's <laughs> it's been a wonderful, it's been an incredible gift to me this pandemic, and um, in in terms of giving me a space to really um, explore these things. And the horror, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned Memorial Day will never be the same for us. Absolutely the truth. You know, it was something we honored fallen soldiers, and he is a fallen soldier in our struggle. Um, mm-hmm. More than fallen, I'm murdered. But, you know, in our struggle, um, and and it has begun to shift things, you know. Not since the yeah. 60s have seen such major shifts. So, yeah, it, it'll be a complicated, much more complicated holiday than it's ever been um, mm-hmm. for us. Right, right, yeah. You have a, this wonderful bio on your website um, uh, in the About section. So, um, uh, and so I don't know if you want me to read it all or just some of it or you want to talk you about think. it. Because <laughs> I won't say it, but I had to write it. <laughs> oh, it's but it's really nice. I mean, the way you write it is really inviting too. The way you, the way it's written, it's it's really nicely written. <laughs> so, so you say about yourself on the website, uh, Diane is an actor, writer, storyteller, solo performer, and speaker. Born and raised in New York City, now a San Francisco Bay Area 415 transplant. After a career as a physician, diagnostic radiology, and the stroke that inspired this story, uh, stroke of luck. Uh, Diane stumbled into improvisation, and she thanks uh, Patricia Ryan Madsen for that, um, I guess, for catching you when you fell, right? <laughs> yes. yeah. so, and giving wow. me wings. Giving me giving wings. You wings, too. Yeah, so yep. you you fluttered out of wherever you were falling. You didn't fall. You had wings to keep you from break your fall. Excellent. Uh, yeah. So this magic trap door, uh, you write, into the performance world opened after an introduction to solo performance with W. Allen Taylor. How is he? I love his work on his piece on his dad. It's such a Isn't beautiful it, work. Father, mm. that is a brilliant piece. I haven't seen it offered on the Internet since we've gone into lockdown here, but he, he mm. periodically revives it. He's living back in D.C. He wanted to be closer to oh. his daughter. Life is okay. good. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely, definitely. You know, that oh, piece yeah. um, won the best solo show of the year, the year it came out, which I believe mm-hmm. could have been five, 2005, but it's a brilliant okay. show and continues to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's teaching. You know, he did a lot of youth teaching here, as yes, well as did. being the yeah. chairman of the Department of Drama at uh, College of Marin, um, mm-hmm. which is where I was able to study with him. But he is such a gifted performer oh, okay. and teacher. Mm-hmm. So if you ever yeah. that up in search of my father by W. Allen Taylor. You must mm-hmm. see that show. It's brilliant. Yes, yes, it will change your life. It was so beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Um, you know, finding you know because you think about father loss, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and then and then and then the deliberate way that our parents you know protect us, but really harm us in in the in the withholding information. <laughs> And then there, you can't undo certain things. Like, okay, if the person is gone, they're gone. I'm like, wow, I had this opportunity. And his story is replicated in so many lives. You know, other other young men and boys, girls. You know, now women. This this story, what happened to him? You know, happened yes. has happened before, and is is happening presently. Unfortunately, Probably unfortunately, a good, good percentage of our young men. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah. 
missing father and missing the stories and the connections. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Right, definitely, definitely. And and then you discovered um, David Ford at the Marsh, <laughs> where you developed yeah. your first work that is, you know, so well known, uh, My Stroke of Luck. And um, and yeah, now, David. And Dave, David, Dave Ford, David Ford has also worked with you on Not One of Us, right, according to what, you, what I'm reading? Correct, yes. Uh-huh. And, you know, and I also have a, a creative group that originated. Mm. We met in his classes over the last seven to nine years, and uh-huh. we continue to meet with each other. And that's a really valuable part to developing a solo piece as well because unlike um, a playwright where you – get it to you actors and have them read it to you so you hear it. Uh, a solo mm-hmm. work written and planned to perform, you need also to have that kind of feedback or some some way to help develop the piece. So, yes, we mm-hmm. David is certainly the, they call him the dean of solo performance or the, um, the maestro. He's a genius at what he does. Mm-hmm. And I've seen him work with people who work with their bodies first. In other words, they're dancers, but they want to tell a mm-hmm. story. And the only way they can tell a story is on their feet dancing. But he finds a way for them to tell it and capture it so that it can be presented. And um, he's just, he's phenomenal. And he works with people who who mainly have to hear, you know, and and work on their feet talking like comedians um, and then go Mm -hmm. back and script it. And then people like me who write and then <laughs> and then present it. So he's very gifted at bringing out the truth in whatever your uh, uh, story is, even if it's not so visible to you when you start. It's mm. visible to him. So it sort of pushes you in all the right ways. So he's he's, an, he's another wingman. <laughs> in other nice. words, giving, giving a lot of creative people. Um, cool. Wing. Cool. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the wow. ancestors. And what about what about oh, people that um, what about people who are they write and and they're like they don't have any acting um, experience, but they want to present the story theatrically. Is does David work with those people too? Absolutely, absolutely. You have a story. I've been. So impressed over the years I've worked with him. Sometimes it's in a class and sometimes it's with my pod and sometimes it's alone. At how he can bring the story out of everyone. You know, people start with, an, they say, I have something to say, I don't know what it is. There's one woman that who's been in, in this class on and off four or five years. And the first few years, which was true of me, I, I wasn't sure what I was writing. I was just writing and writing. And, um, I hadn't seen her work for a couple of years, and she went from kind of coming in and saying, well, I I want to talk about something. I don't know how to begin to this incredible, well-crafted piece that just brings you to laugh and to tears. And and she was just, you know, she's a woman who lost her husband, and she felt like she lost her life and herself. And so it is kind of a coming to terms with that in a very beautiful way. Um, and, and she, you know, from just having a hole in her heart and needing to talk about it and wanting to share the beauty of what they shared, um, she's told a, a very personal universal story of, of, of love and compromise and 
um, life, you know, beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there are many storytelling styles. So, like the moth, you can just tell it like a story at, at, right. with David and the marsh. Usually you play the characters and enact the characters in scenes. And, but mm-hmm. everyone finds a style that can work for them. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Awesome. Yeah, and, and you're um, a Meisner-trained uh, actor and completed the Summer Training Congress at the American Conservatory Theater, uh, Spring Training Intensive at Berkeley Rep, Personal Narratives, Global Identities Workshop with Anna DeVere Smith. That, that, that was phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. In fact, she's part of the inspiration behind the Ancestors piece, although I've sat on it for three years since I worked with her, but she said, you know, you are in a position to tell an American story like Mm. nobody else, and you need to do it. Um, Yes. Thank you, Anna. I heard you. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Took me a while simmering, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but now it's hitting the page and soon the stage. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Delart uh, School of Physical Theater Bali program, and you've been inspired and guided by Anne Randolph, and you're a graduate of Stanford University, um, uh, AB in Psychology, and Yale University School of Medicine with postdoc training at UC San Francisco and Stanford, and and you write of yourself that you're a well compensated introvert. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and there's a sometimes I tell people I'm an introvert, and they say, "Oh no, you're not." And I say, "Yeah, well, in five minutes you'll see her, because <laughs> I'll be gone." You know. In other words, oh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, for me this pandemic has not been nearly as hard as for many of my friends because I don't have to make excuses for not why I'm not showing up to parties. <laughs> you know, oh. I don't have to. Worry, think about, oh, do I really want to do that? Oh, oh, I just am at home um, being creative. I mean, there's some other issues, and I miss my friends, and I can't wait to listen to live music and hug my music friends and sing out loud and and dance um, in a crowd of dancing, happy people to live music. But for now, um, I I do fine, you know, Mm -hmm. introverts too. Right. <laughs> yeah, and then there's this really lovely picture of you uh, with your sons, uh, your two sons. That's really a nice picture. And and you write that. Uh, you already mentioned, you know, your your dog that you have um, as a um, companion. And um, <clears throat> what is the? So you have two dogs. Um, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce. Okay. Two, how do you um, pronounce the? Boomer. I uh, bearded collies. So uh, okay. one is oh, they are? Boomer. And okay. he's about a year and a half. He's my pandemic dog. And uh, he's oh. a little bit of a project because he was under-socialized. And, of course, he's now in a pod of <laughs> one. Um, but we'll get there. And um, my older one is three, and her name mm-hmm. is Princess Pika. So. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and you're a silversmith and a sculptor, too. Yes. Yes, you know, after retiring from medicine, you know, one is used to working, what, 50, 60, whatever hours a week, and Mm -hmm. having all that time, suddenly um, the world shifts and all the creative possibilities um, are there. So I -hmm. I love sculpting, and I I haven't made jewelry for a while. I don't have a studio in my house, 
Um, mm-hmm. But um, looking forward to getting back to everything. And mm-hmm. the, it, now I, I'm writing. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. So tell us more about about this piece um and the uh you know the what people are going to see um you know when they when they uh attend um the uh, streaming uh next week the 5th but um in in the context of these other parts that have not been written I'm really interested in your um um your ancestors piece but um yeah you said that this this one here is the motherland and this, this when is, you were in one, Lagos the little excerpt, it's actually a long excerpt, a 20-minute, because oh. I don't have a trailer yet, but called Motherland. So that mm-hmm. segment covers my being a doctor in Nigeria. And okay. then the other part of the show, the longer part, is about experiences back in the States and the contrast in the racial perceptions in Nigeria and here and the tribalism versus racism um, are are pretty evocative. Um, mm. So I'll, I'll tell you, here's, here's what some people have said from opening night. Bold mm-hmm. and provocative, spectacular, beautiful, loved, so moving, inspiring. I hope your live performance get broadcast to a much wider audience as such consciousness raising is necessary to enable more parity, trust, and confidence between patients and doctors, healthcare and frontline workers, regardless of race, ethnicity, religion, sex, and gender. So those are just some of what's been written back to me um, uh, about um, the show and how people uh, have responded to it. Um, Yeah. And uh, let's let's see, I was looking for one other, that one I had, Handy. There's another one. That I <laughs> yeah, have as, but maybe you could it, tell us also about, um, you know, uh, you know, being a doctor in um, in in Lagos, um, Lagos Island, and um, yeah, just because a lot of people haven't been to yeah. Africa. I mean, you know, it's just a, it's, it's you know, people have ideas about what it's like. <laughs> you know, Africa yes. that is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um and I, yeah, and, and being on the ground is quite different from thinking about it and you know, through the way that Africa is portrayed um in the media, the popular media and, and popular culture is usually a negative um view of Africa. Africa's never modern, Africa's not, you know, technically up to date. Um, you know, it's it's never definitely, you know, Africans and Americans are not peers in any way, particularly scientifically or educationally, yes. but that's not yes. true. All these things are not true. And so, no, and so um, you, yeah, no, as a person who's traveled a bit in Africa, um, and I've been to Nigeria and to Lagos as well, Lagos Island in particular, um, and else, elsewhere in um, in Nigeria, you know, some of the, the holy spaces, you know, um, like mm-hmm. Ileife and Oshogbo and places like that. You want you could you know so maybe talk about what it was like to practice medicine there and you know contrast it to practicing medicine here and then you know within the the space that we are in now you're not practicing but you know you had the training that you had and so I'm sure you know you're you know you're looking with a different kind of eye at you know this pandemic and yes. how it's hitting certain communities and how the medical uh, world 
in the industry viewing this world that's being uh, negatively impacted by um, this, this, you know, um, this pandemic, you know, this epidemic um, now, and you know, and and the whole idea of, um, you know, just people wearing masks and and you know and staying distant and you know some simple things that we could all do to make each other, you know, keep each other from being getting sick and how that has been not addressed in a way that would keep California from having the high numbers that we have in the state. I mean, they're crazy high. It is crazy. And, uh, you know, at first it was just southern part of the state, but now mm-hmm. it's really all over. And mm-hmm. it is it is a shame. You know, I, I will say this. The sense of African, in Nigeria certainly, there was much more of a sense of doing what's responsible and taking care of each other. Um, you know, all of the Ubuntu and all of the words, I am, you know, all of the things that we hear, the principles like the Kwanzaa, it, it, this is life there. So this, uh, all for me, and uh, don't encroach on my freedoms, it, it isn't a concept, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm supporting two little girls um, through uh, international children um, in... Uh, Let's see. It's further down south, in closer to South Africa. But one of them wrote me yesterday. She's seven years old, and she said, "You know, it's so hard I have to wear these masks all the time, and when I go out, I have to wear gloves, and this is not fun, <laughs> you know." And mm-hmm. here, people argue with stewardesses about their children not needing a mask when the rule says everybody over two, you know. Um, and for their village to have gotten the supplies to keep them safe is a minor miracle. And every one of them is being absolutely cognizant or aware and caring for their neighbors as well as their, themselves, um, which is a very African principle, really. Um, so what was really what's really striking about working there um, I was in a large, very large public hospital, Lagos Island Maternity Hospital. So that's 13,000 births a day. So hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of babies delivered. And people to get care sometimes had to walk for three days from their villages. Oh, wow. Yes. Mm. Can you imagine being pregnant in labor or thinking you're about to go into labor and having to walk yeah. three days to get to the wow. hospital? Um, mm-hmm. They are strong, tough people. And the thing that, that strikes me about um, the, the contrast or the, the um, similarities between the COVID here and the health problems that I saw, because I'm in a public hospital, you know, so that is treating the poorer um, people, um, mm-hmm. is the scarce resources um, and, for example, you know, in a COVID uh, unit, if there are so many people being admitted that um, ventilators are in short supply. So if there's one ventilator left, how do you choose who gets it? And that problem we had in Nigeria often with the antibiotics because everything was imported. They didn't manufacture any antibiotics. So everything had to come through the port, and sometimes some of it sort of fell off the truck. Um, but 
So the idea of making do and of having to make choices um, is something that I hadn't seen as much here until this crisis. And, of course, who comes out behind? It's the everyday workers, the people who are on the front lines, which are disproportionately people of color, and who goes to the overwhelmed public hospitals and has, because of scarce resources, worse outcomes, it's by and large people of color, or certainly way, way, way disproportionately. So there's been a lot for me to think about here, um, contrasting my experiences there. You know, Africa in some ways, in Nigeria, it was so beautiful, especially Lagos Island. You know, it's this island and people get around on the dugout canoes and various kinds of waterway uh not motorboats, but very beautiful, quiet, peaceful um, wooden crafts. Whether I don't know if they're kayaks, canoes, or outward, whatever they are. But um, there is a vibrancy and a beauty, and there's nothing like seeing a whole street that looks like Wakanda, right? <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> you know, hairdos yeah. you couldn't mm-hmm. imitate. You know, you would the be- best expert Senegalese braider here would have a hard time doing some of the hairdos, the colors of the outfits, the jewelry, the beauty of the people, and the you know, and always children. You know, one on the front, one on the back. Um, there's such a vibrancy. Um, it, 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 yeah, it really is different <laughs> to be in mm-hmm. Wakanda. That also makes some race issues because, you know, they are at that time. Now, this is 40 years ago, um, but there was a very much a consciousness that um, Africans are fully African. And those who are mixed, which many, many, many of us are, are less African than white. Um, And that is a shocking, that was a shocking discovery for me. It's like, no, I'm not white. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And at one point, one of the street vendors said, okay, white lady who wants to be black. Okay, okay. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, really? (laughs) Oh, dude. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) White lady who wants to be black. Okay. (laughs) It's like, you know, I'm not racial dozier. Come on, dude, lighten up. <laughs> anyway, mm. but it was fun. Yeah. But you, but you, but as you get to know, you understand what that's about, and some of the colonial practices about that 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 created hierarchies that didn't exist before. You know. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, yeah. But then, but then, when you look at you know, sort of how racism and medicine plays itself out, you know, um, you know, here and you know, through the transatlantic travel, not much has changed. Um, you know, you think about medical care for our ancestors, you know, on mm. the plantation, um, it wasn't great, but because you know, we were an economic, our ancestors were economic investments. You know, you didn't want, you know, your investment to die, you know, without getting your money's worth, you know, first. Right. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. and then post, post-slavery, post it didn't matter. You know, we think about the convict leasing and just working people to death because there was an investment. Well, just go get some more Negroes, right, and then work them to death and get some more and work them to death. Um, and then it was actually sort of worse. 
It was actually mm. worse than that. It was several people mm. wrote, you know, they're all so poor and destitute. Our Negro mm. problem will be over in a decade. Mm. Really? You know? Yes. Mm. This was 1870. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so many people were thrown off the plantations, right, which is oh, where they yes. had lived and worked. And mm-hmm. so living in the streets and doing whatever um, if they couldn't get hired on because many of the Southerners were unwilling to pay for what they'd previously been able to have for free, right? So Mm -hmm. there were all kinds of – there was abject poverty and no available medical care. Even in Reconstruction, when the government sent the doctors, it was something like one doctor for 200,000 people. It was really totally insufficient. And there was a lot of talk. Yes, they will extinguish themselves. Poverty and disease will claim them, and we won't have a problem. And therefore, nothing was done to uh, alleviate the plight of the newly uh, freed. It's quite dismaying. Um, And the history of... of, uh, Racism in medicine is long. You know, part of the issue of distrust in our community stems from that history, you know, which began with doctors ensuring that the choice of of captives were good for the purposes of shipment and sale as chattel. Um, There were the ship's doctor was the second in command and the second highest paid, and he was the one who decided, well, this person doesn't look like they're going to make it overboard time, and who prescribed the activity, which meant forcing people upstairs and beating drums or beating some, you know, the rifle butts on the decks and making people dance so that their legs, limbs wouldn't totally atrophy in the six thousand mile journey. So it's a pretty horrific beginning, and then. They were there were doctors at all of the auction sites to uh, assess the health of the enslaved vis-a-vis their ability to work, um, and then mm-hmm. it went from there to yes, the plantation owner was the client. We might have gotten treatment, medical treatment, but it was only with the approval at the behest of the owner. So mm-hmm. many people did perish because the owners didn't want to pay the doctor bills. You know, right. um, mm-hmm. I, it's and, and then you go from there <laughs> to no to really no doctors for our population, and then there were a number of medical schools were opened. I think the number could have been as high as eleven. I'm not sure, but after Reconstruction and education, self determination became a really big thing. There were medical schools, a, a number of them, educating black doctors and a commission. And I don't remember which president or who, uh, I think it was about Woodrow Wilson's time, uh, but don't quote me on that. I I don't have that at my fingertips. Um, Did a survey and decided that all but Meharry and Howard were subpar and had to be closed. And so all of a sudden, most of the schools training black physicians were gone. And, of course, it was another 40 plus years before we were admitted in any numbers to, uh, I would call them previously white schools, but the schools mm-hmm. <laughs> existed. So we've had a very fraught history, and then all the issues of the studies, you know, the Tuskegee study, which 
Um, you know, there have been a number of studies looking at trust in our community um, uh, of doctors in health, and even people who've never consciously heard of the Tuskegee study have the same kinds of suspicions because that is only the um, marquee bad behavior study, you know. There mm-hmm. were so many others, so many others. Like the story of Henrietta Lacks is one. Um, right, you know, yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's a tough, it's a hard place. Hmm. And um, yeah. uh, I think with with vaccines, et cetera, you know, certainly Biden has expressed an interest in making sure that the communities who are disproportionately affected get the vaccine. It's a tough rollout and it's a tough um, situation, but certainly people now are very aware of the um, Harriet uh, Washington. Is it wrote a book called Medical Apartheid, describing right. yes, you mm-hmm. know the history of mal- our mistreatment um, by the medical establishment. Um, but in, all is not at a loss. I mean, there's, there are major, major breakthroughs, and, and there's much more consciousness raising now um, and less tolerance of some of the worst of the discrepancies. But I think that story of Dr. Susan Moore, the um, physician who got COVID and was poorly treated in a hospital. Um, oh, I don't, oh, I don't know that story. Oh, oh. heavens. It's... Um, Let's see. She she died within the last two months. Now I didn't. Oh, she died. Day. She died. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh. Um, oh. Yes. She was a um, an immigrant from one of the islands, but she trained oh. here. Um, let's see. Let me just try. Yes, Dr. Susan. Oh Moore. my goodness. So wow. there's a New York article that's yeah that's yeah. Sort of, see it. She dies of COVID nineteen after complaining of. Racist, racist treatment. And it he made horrible. me feel like a drug addict. Yes. This is, and oh, there this are reasons. You've got to, if you don't know, you, you've got to read that. I, I recently did a radio oh. a program, um, a KPFA, um, so mm-hmm. it's available online, of um, with Nurse Rona, of medical mm-hmm. discrepancies and racism in medical care. And we did open with this because it's just a heartbreaking story. She's a doctor. She's the sole support of her mother with dementia and her college-age son. And Mm -hmm. she gets sick. And she is treated in the hospital, and they start remdesivir, which is uh, one of the treatments. And a new doctor Mm -hmm. comes and tells her she's not eligible and won't give her the remdesivir, won't give her pain medications. And Mm -hmm. she says, I'm I'm short of breath. He says, I don't see that. Well, she's... She videoed herself, and anyone can see she is short of breath as she's talking to him. You can't – that's not something somebody fakes with oxygen going in their nose, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, long story, he wouldn't give her pain medication, and it was only – she kept saying she had horrible neck pain. He never examined her neck. And when finally she – after she put the video out and she contacted the head of the hospital – he said, okay, we'll, we'll do something. We'll. So they got a CT that showed she had all a lot of lymph nodes all through her neck, which was the cause of the pain. They were big inflamed nodes um, mm-hmm. from the COVID, and it also showed that she had a, a, a COVID infection in her lungs. So mm-hmm. she was eligible for that. But 
Okay, so they improved their treatment a little while. They discharged her. Seven to 12 hours later, she was readmitted to another hospital with bacterial pneumonia in really bad shape and died. Um, and it's, you need to read the story, but it's um, it's atrocious. Um, yeah. And thankfully, it got a lot of publicity. She was her own best publicist. But here's the thing that kills me. The hospital never issued a formal apology. What the mm-hmm. CEO said was something to the effect of, well, you know, having a really informed patient who knows a lot can be very um, uh not off-putting, he said, can be uh, make the staff very nervous or uncomfortable or something like that. And my feeling is, yeah, then you do your best. You're on your best behavior. But in one, one point, she, she couldn't get her pain meds for three hours. And the nurse told her, well, I have other patients besides you. Well, I'm sorry. That's not really a reaction that says to me that they're awed by someone's knowledge. You know? Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. She's dismissive treatment because of the color of her skin. Oh, totally, yeah. And you probably know the work of uh, Dr. Uche uh, Blackstock, you know, who um, does, you know, trainings around um, systemic racism and um, and structural violence and, and the way that um, medical students and then doctors sort of are um, – you know, uh, through um, direct and implicit bias, um, have come across, have these various ideas around, you know, black people and illness and their patients. And like the one about how, you know, black folks don't feel pain. You know, that's what they were doing with Henrietta Lacks when she was in that hospital suffering from, you know, ovarian cancer. Um, I mean, like she had to beg for for pain medicine. And it's like, okay, well. You know, we'll, we'll give you some, and and you know that was a hundred years ago. She just had her her hundredth birthday was last mm. August, twenty twenty, oh, wow. right? And so it was a hundred right. years ago. We're talking about John Hopkins Hospital, right? And yep. John Hopkins Hospital, and and we're looking at the same thing. This this happened to this um, physician, uh, Doctor Susan Moore. Um, you know, the article was December twenty fifth mm-hmm. <laughs> last year. Yeah, he's just a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and I I heard something about a young person who was he was a student at at a, a university, and um, and he he had the disease and he went to the hospital and they sent him home and he died, yeah. and and he he you know he he made sure that he checked you know all of the various um, you know sort of indicators that he did have the disease before he went, and. And they said, no, no, you're not feeling what you're feeling. It's like, and and he died. I think he was getting ready to graduate from university. Um, it was just like, oh, this is terrible. Yes, it is terrible. Yeah. And um, the problem with it is it's well entrenched. You know, this yes. is from the 1700s, you know, after we were brought here. Um, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't the same in the beginning. And after Bacon's Rebellion, which happened in the eight. 16, maybe 60s, maybe 1666. So it was a whole bunch of of um, of serfs, you know, so poor white people, got together with indentured servants and uh, slave, enslaved and mm-hmm. free blacks, of which there were many at that time, against the planter aristocracy. And um, they burned the 
capital down to the ground, and they held out for almost a year. And the planter aristocracy, in return, um, decided that they couldn't survive if blacks and whites, poor people, ever got together. Mm -hmm. So they started all, you know, they created white privilege, basically, (laughs) you know, even more than slave owning. But they create a white privilege for every segment of whites. So, for instance, white serfs at the end of their indentured servitude were given land. If they married or associated with black people, they lost the land. So, and that's, they began a whole bunch of codes that blacks were subhuman, sub-everything. And amongst these, in order to justify that, some of the things were, well, they don't feel pain. They're like animals. They don't feel pain. And unfortunately... Mm-hmm. That persists to this day. A recent yes. study showed that people in medical training, white people in medical training, believe that black people do not feel pain the same as mm-hmm. white people. That's right. That's, That's right. utter and utter nonsense. But that means that you, for instance, when she was in the hospital, instead of giving her morphine, which is what you would give somebody who's in an extreme pain and hospitalized, IV. Mm. The doctor said, well, I'm not comfortable giving you morphine. You can have Percocet. Okay, fine. But Percocet is a, you take that when you're home. You know, if you have a lot of swelling in your neck and you can't hardly breathe, they need to be putting your medication in an IV, right? Mm. So that old, all of these old things and and black patients who present with stroke symptoms, heart attack symptoms, overwhelming infection symptoms do not get admitted at the same rate as whites. They do not get the same treatments. And they do not get access to the to the specialized uh, treatments, even if they were specialized treatments developed by experimenting on us. So there are a number of systemic problems, and I have been heartened to see that the American Medical Association just in the last four or five months, the American Psychiatric Association, um, are among those who are issuing apologies um, about the way racism affected uh, treatment of black people um, and other minorities, and um, and making efforts to do better uh, with education. I just listened to um, the young PhD, brilliant young lady, uh, who wrote the new book called The Three Mothers, and it's about the mother of James Baldwin, Martin Luther King, and mm-hmm. Malcolm X. And it, right. it's, it'll be released, I think, well, I'm waiting for the audiobook. It's released on the mm-hmm. 2nd of February, but I think it's available now. Anyways, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, Malcolm X's mother was committed to, uh, involuntarily, to mm-hmm. a mental institution after her husband was murdered and she was raising eight children alone for delusions of discrimination by a white mm-hmm. psychiatrist for 25 years. Now, I haven't read the book. And I don't know how, you know, I need so much more. But mm-hmm. come on. Delusions? Yeah. Mm, delusions of of uh, racism and white supremacy. Yeah, because you know they were Garveyites, so it wasn't a delusion. They it was documented, you know, well, yes. as was as was the supposed accident 
of her husband, you know, when he was run down, you know, yes. in the in the street by a vehicle. I think it was a bus or something. Yeah, yeah, and they they split the whole family up. You know, they they sent you know some children here and some children there, you know, in a foster care, and yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible what happened. Yeah, that that particular you know I wanted to mention that the uh, Schomburg, um, uh Center mm-hmm. is going to be presenting a series of of free uh, book talks and lectures and commentaries and that that particular. Um, book and author, along with some other authors, they're going to be in conversation. I think that's how it culminates. So every week in February, um, I think beginning, no, actually a couple of times a week, like the first person's, the first talk is with Walter Mosley. It's going to be like on February 3rd, and and then there's another one on February, um, I think, 4th, and then the following week. And so there are different days, but they're all free. And they're like they're Eastern time, so they're like three and four o'clock our time, Eastern Pacific time. But if people check Wanda's dot com, I'm gonna have the information there, so you don't miss any of them. I was up really early this morning, making sure that I register for these Zoom <laughs> sessions and put it in my calendar. Because you know how there's so much Zoom that you can't keep it in your head because you think, oh, I'm gonna remember. No, you no. are not. Write no. it down. Put it in your calendar in your phone or whatever. <laughs> Not only do I put it in my phone, but I put it in with a reminder five minutes before, 15 minutes before, yes. 30 minutes before, yes. and one hour before. Ridiculous. In the old days, yes. I put it in for the day before. But now, if I don't do that, it slips. Mm-hmm. I can think of it at noon, and by 3 o'clock, mm-hmm. gone. Yeah, because tubs. Tubbs is the author's name. Brilliant. Oh, and Tubbs. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, yeah. There's just so much. I mean... It it is, I don't know. Um, I I do I do miss my family. I miss my friends. Like the physicality of it, like being with them. Um, mm-hmm. Like, cause I'm I'm like you. Only I don't have pets. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. So I, so when I I go for my bike ride, I pretend like I'm with my people, cause there are people out there walking and stuff, and I don't know them, but. I have a little company. Any people in cars, that's company too, because <laughs> right. you're not in your house looking at the walls, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. I just wonder for children that were born, you know, in 2020, and mm. and you know, and and now, and and you know, and only, you know, sort of, you know, as if they have like a mother and a father and some children in the house, but. You know, like insofar as like play groups and preschool and just that whole social thing. What mm-hmm. what's how's they gonna like how's they gonna roll out? You know, insofar as um, uh, you know, what's how's this gonna affect their interactions? You know, Boy, with we, people. We are in mm-hmm. such a social experiment. We have no clue. You know, I mm-hmm. can't even imagine. I had my first COVID nightmares the other night. And what they were is I would walk in a room and I was the only one with a mask on and everybody was rushing to hug me, you know, and I, and I just woke up in a cold. You know, it's like one day this will be over. I don't have to break in a cold sweat if I see somebody coming my direction. And I'm a grown-up, an old one at that. So I can't imagine what the children, yeah. the mm-hmm. teens and the kids who were planning to go to the freshman year at college and are still in mom and dad's or the kids who had great mm-hmm. jobs lined up when they graduated and are now back with mom and dad. And uh, it's, it's 
we won't know for a long time. It is so sad because if everyone had just been really, really serious about that, about this from the beginning, it would nowhere near have been had taken away so many people, nowhere near um, as spread out through the community, and we'd be way closer to the end of this thing, way closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The children and the mothers who had to leave work because they have to homeschool the children or try to keep right. the children on the, the families mm-hmm. that don't have computer access. I mean, I've, I've seen photographs you know, of children sitting outside of a Starbucks using the using the the Wi-Fi signal from the Starbucks, but they're outside because they can't afford to buy anything, and they're children of color, and they wouldn't be allowed to loiter. So it's just mm-hmm. heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, mm-hmm. and we don't know. We don't know. There are a lot of healing will be way overdue. Yeah, yeah, because cause I, I teach, and, and, um, and my classes are all online now, and so when uh, school started this week, so I've got, you know, these Zoom classes, um, and and some students, all I see is a name. I'm not, not, I don't see them in Zoom because, <laughs> and they'll try, but when they they show their face, then the connection gets weak, and and they end up dropping off the call, um, right. or they or they get or they're frozen. So right. so I'm like. Talking to myself, it feels like because they can see me, but I can't see them, right. <laughs> which is weird. But the but the but the but the uh, the voice behind, you know, the black box, right, is speaking to me and speaking to us. But we wouldn't recognize each other if we weren't in this in this particular. Like once we are not in the computer, so to right. speak, or, or going through the computer, we won't know each other. It's not like oh, you're developing community. No, you're not, because I can't no. see any of these people. <laughs> yeah, no, when when you see them, some of the Zoom calls where I can see everyone, I do feel like that. I feel like, okay, I've seen you in your bed. I've seen you in the kitchen. I've seen you on the couch in your living room. I'll know you when I see you. <laughs> but uh-huh. for the yeah. the calls or the people who call on the, you know, on their phone and they can't see anyone else because the phone yes. doesn't have the bandwidth. So they see mm-hmm. maybe the speaker and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um Sometimes they see nothing. Just for them, it's a black screen, too. So it's very yeah. challenging. And how mm-hmm. uneven this is, you know, how some people are at home with five laptops for five family members and mm-hmm. great Wi-Fi, and others are sharing one tablet um, between yes. looking for work and someone working and children going to school. It's just, I don't know, it's... <laughs> We won't know for a long time. Mhm. Right. What? Yeah. What cost us? What we have to do? What has changed for the children? You know, mm-hmm. I, I when the um, playgrounds had that um, yellow oh, police yes. everywhere, I just thought, right, you know, right. How do you explain that to your three-year-old? Mhm. You know? Yeah. Yes, a crime site. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and then and then and then you see parents and parents taking off the tape, and yeah. then you're like, I don't know. I just sort of feel paranoid a lot. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, I don't and know if you've been, been around anybody with the disease, so I can't like ah, because you might be carrying it. You know, right. I'm like ah, 
And then they talk right. about the vaccine. They don't know how long it's going to be effective for, like, okay, maybe three months, you know, that's what they say. And then it's, like, oh, but it, you have to get a booster because we got these strands coming in from these other places. I'm like, good grief. You know, probably mm-hmm. a year at least. We don't really know. But, but you know, mm-hmm. they can't say that because the vaccines have only been out three or four months, so they can't. Exactly, yeah. Overpromise mm-hmm. and underliver as we've been used to for the last four years, that's really undermines trust. So they can't really say. But, you know, if it's like a flu vaccine, we take a different flu shot every year because they mutate and they change and new ones come up. So mm-hmm. if we're in that category after we get this stomped out, it's bearable, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. It's just right now we have the entire world, what is it, five or seven billion people, and everyone has to be vaccinated with a vaccine that didn't exist until November. Right, yeah. So is it like, like polio, like that one, the polio vaccine or the measles, mumps, rubella? Like what's it, what's it, no, what's, what is it historic, historically equivalent to the way that no. there's like this First, massive... Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the campaign you could compare mm-hmm. to polio, but okay. polio mm-hmm. children, you know. But but it was a big national emergency, and okay. um, and and that is probably the last the polio, you know. And they were the okay. two, the Salk and the Sabin. So the first one was given um, in the in your muscle, and mm-hmm. it saved you, but it didn't keep you from spreading the disease. In other words, you wouldn't get it but you could still spread it. And that's where they're a little bit unsure with some of the vaccines now, uh, where it lands. Then when the oral polio vaccine came through, you could mm-hmm. neither spread it nor catch it, right? Okay. It was a 95%, you know, like this, not maybe mm-hmm. even higher. Um, so right. it was very good. The first two vaccines that have been developed here are mm-hmm. RNA messenger vaccines. That has never been done before. We've never had an RNA messenger vaccine before. Mm-hmm. But they have been waiting for the last five or six years, knowing it was a technology that could be used. They've been mm-hmm. waiting for the right time to deploy it. And so both the Moderna mm-hmm. and the Pfizer, that have to be kept so very, very, very cold, are um, based on... This, uh, an RNA, messenger RNA. So what it does is it comes into your body and says, uh-oh, this is what you need to look out for. Say, here we are, little little, little strands that match the corona. So mm-hmm. the body sees, oh, what is that? And you make all these antibodies to the corona elements, in other words, so they can't bind to your cells. So that's how mm-hmm. it works. And they are worried because the corona, you know, those little, all the little bumps are changing mm-hmm. with the new, uh, with the new um, mutations. And the question is, how are they recognized and uh, will it be fully effective? I think the first two are one of the ones that was developed from a, another virus, an adenovirus that was changed. Um, seems to fall down to 50% effective for the South African variant. That one isn't approved yet in the country, in our country. So you know, it's it, there's a lot still we don't know. But I am so happy and confident that with the new administration and with actual scientists now back at the helms of all the agencies with the freedom to communicate honestly, um, mm-hmm. we will get that information. And we will all be able to make 
informed choices. You know, right now, if they say, do you want a vaccine? You say yes, right? You don't say which one, right? Six months, it might be a choice. Well, I I do, I do, um, I'm Pfizer, no, because Pfizer had, you know, that's where people were who had allergies um, were, you know, going into anaphylactic shock um, more so than people that didn't. So it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I want to know which one. <laughs> you have anaphylaxis, though, because it's, it's, it. Everyone, um, I, it, to my knowledge, I think there have been ten cases, in only mm-hmm. two places. So they're looking at that because the the vaccine has been distributed very widely. So why would only two places have people with anaphylaxis? So they're mm-hmm. looking at a whole lot of other things because it might not have been the injection. Oh. Right. You see, why yeah. not right. vaccine? Because mm-hmm. why two clinics? So they have to look at what kind of alcohol wipes they were using to cleanse it. What you know, what kind of gloves they were using. Blah blah blah. You know, I mm-hmm. conceivably, if somebody used a latex glove and someone had an unknown latex allergy, when they're giving you right. a shot, that could have caused it. Mm-hmm. So they don't know. It's possible it's the vaccine. But I would, I've not had anaphylaxis. I have allergies up the wazoo. I take an allergy med every morning. I'm still, you know, I have eczema and you name it, allergic stuff. But I would take it. I have not had an anaphylactic reaction. And they will observe you for 30 minutes. You know, everyone has yeah. been observed and has come through fine. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I certainly wouldn't want that. But COVID, from what I understand, certainly from the death rates and from the long haulers, um, mm-hmm. even a difficult vaccine is a better option than getting COVID. Mm-hmm. You right. know, there are mm-hmm. so many long-term effects on the brain, on muscle wasting and neurologic conditions, not to mention mm-hmm. the lungs. You know, there are how many people hoping for lung trans, hoping to live long enough to get lung transplants who survived COVID? Uh, I, no. I'll take the shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah. 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 Wow. But a lot well, of information, um, I think there, there will be an informational outreach to our community because that's the only way that people will begin to have trust and belief that the that that we're being prioritized, cared for and heard. Mhm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we started the show with um a conversation with uh Two women, um, um, Lisa Goshan. She is the president of LGI Branding Inc. and she is the first woman to manufacture in the United States to manufacture N95 surgical face surgical mm. face mask. Yeah, and and I and then also Nicole Cunningham, who is an adoption social worker for the Department of Human Services in San Francisco and an entrepreneur and a philanthropist. And I met them both at a Village Connect. Um, webinar that was focusing on African Americans and the vaccine, vaccine you know, against COVID nineteen, like sort of exploring what it is. You know, had you know, a couple of doctors on the panel, uh, medical doctors that um, were part of the trial, like Dr. Um, Fitzpatrick out of uh, Howard University and Lisa Fitzpatrick, uh, Howard University. Um, and and, and an, uh, another doctor here out of UC San Francisco who works for Alameda County uh, Public Health Department. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Yeah, it was a really, really good panel. And so I met these two women there, <laughs> and I invited them on the show this morning to sort of just to have more conversation about that. And there's going to be another conversation on uh, February 11th through Village Connect. So, um, and I know the um, uh, Dr. Shirley Weber's um, office, you know, uh, she's Secretary of State now, but her her assembly office, they're, they're having a, such a um, a panel next week. So, yeah, you're right. They're, they're having panels so that people can get information and make informed choices and ask their questions, which is really great. And I, I think yeah. they're going to be continuing through, you know, the rest of the, you know, the winter and into the spring and into the fall because I don't think the questions are going to be gone <laughs> as we move through the year. <laughs> there will be more questions. And as more vaccines mm-hmm. come online, and they're all different, mm-hmm. you know, a number of them are one shot, so you don't have to go yeah. back. You have to mm-hmm. remember, you have to be assured that you're fully covered, that they're mm-hmm. not holding back your second dose. You don't need it. So there'll be a, a mm-hmm. it'll be an ongoing education um, for all of us, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah, yeah. So back to your your play, um, you know, your latest work. Um, I was just wondering, sort of. Maybe you could we could close with sort of um, you know why why do you why why do you why do you want to tell stories? Um, I mean, you were a doctor, and and then you had this stroke, and mm-hmm. and you call it the stroke of luck because it changed your life. <laughs> I mean, you know that you live too, you know, <laughs> and 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 then through the living and you know like getting through it, um, which was in itself quite an ordeal, you know, to put it lightly, you know, that you are here with us, and I'm really happy you're here with us. Um, I was wondering sort of, you know, how, and you and you said you're an introvert. So how in the heck and why? I mean, you know, for you to do this, I mean, as a public service, right? Because you didn't have to tell stories. Um, yeah, why, why did you want to do this, and why did you want to tell these stories? The, you know, the, the the story that got you into, into the um, public uh, I and then the continuing stories which you're telling now. Well, you know, I think we all have stories in us. And mm-hmm. um, who was it? It was one of our queens who said, "Don't die with your story still in you." Mm. I I can't remember who that was, um, mm-hmm. but I think that is so true. We all have stories, and you know, I. I Look at the number of Holocaust survivors who never spoke to their children about what was going on when they were growing up, never told their history, never, never. And as they began to face the end of life, you know, backing down the last 10 or last 20 years and knowing I'll be gone soon, and this I was a witness to, and they begin to tell their stories. And I think in some ways, for me, it was that way. You know, I worked and I was a mother and I, I, you know, did some creative things. And then I had the stroke. And as you say, I lived. (laughs) Um, And luckily recovered most of my facilities very well. And at that point, I realized, you know, this, I've been through something. And people go through this every day, you know, have strokes or are cut down in the midst of what they think is the life they were meant to be lead, living or leading, and then have to cope with 
Who am I now? And, you know, to some degree, it's all of us. I have friends who are recently widowed. And that's who am I now after 50 years or 40 years Mm. of marriage Mm -hmm. with that person gone? Other people, you know, they've suddenly lost their sight. Who am I now? I can't see. And for me, you know, is who am I now? I've had this major event that rearranged my brain. I mean, you know, I, I could feel old memories coming up and being, it was as if I had a, a, um, a movie camera, right? And I'd run the little eight millimeter film and then somebody would get in and edit it, my memory, and run it a different way so that I was getting new perspectives on my own life just because my brain had been injured and had to put itself back together. So it was making these new pathways, and it was like every day it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, And so I feel like I was given this huge gift of being able to see life and myself in a different way, interact with my children as a different person, and, um, you know, uh, the, the, you know what just came to my mind that song I got a crow <laughs> but but it's not really about being boastful it's about uh, you know this was burning in me to tell mm-hmm. and um I didn't actually start with the stroke what with the stroke what changed most dramatically was my relationship with my children who were at the time 11 and 13 so really bad times for a mother of two, single mother of two black sons to be incapacitated. And so the first thing I wrote was in Alan's class, W. Alan Taylor, who in search of my father, um, in his class was a piece about all the hoops I had to jump through to qualify to adopt my first son. And when I shared that at our graduation, several people came up to me in tears um, the first one was a young black woman, couldn't have been older than 30. And she said, you're telling my story. And I'm thinking, what, what you, you can't be an adoptive parent. And if you're an adoptee, you're already grown. What, am I, what touched you? But she was so emotional and so just saying, this is what you're meant to do. And, and then two or three other people, two other people came with the same level of emotion and connection and resonance with the story that I had told uh, to this day, I don't really know which aspect of it, but it was the most incredibly powerful uh, sense. You know, I was a doctor who read x-rays, so I read ultrasound, CAT scans, and all that. But in a room, a dark room, with the images, the patient history, and my brain, that was my practice. Then i pick up a phone and tell a doctor what I saw. And very, when I interacted with patients, it was only to let them know a procedure that I was about to do or explain something or to say, you know, I'll get the results to your doctor who will contact you and give them a time frame. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, I saw the power of humanity, really, and the power of my sharing my own humanity. Um, and that... There we were. Then this second person came up and said, you must find David Ford. This is what you're meant to do. And again, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm still reeling at the fact that people are touched by something. You know, obviously the story I told was very, you know, there's a lot of racism in and classism and um, gender uh, bias and 
uh, sexual orientation bias in the adoption world. Um, and so uh, as a straight, black, unmarried female, I ran across issues on each one of those. So I had a, a lot to stay. And, and the home study process, which is fairly intrusive uh, about your life and how you were raised, etc. So a lot of stuff was perking, and I guess that's what people responded to. So then I went and met with David, and the first scene I wrote for him or with him in his class under his tutelage um, mm-hmm. ended up ending to my first play. Mm. So, and uh, and that's I just you know this summer as I watched the kids all out there on the Black Lives Matter, some with and without face masks, and I thought you know mm-hmm. they are speaking in the way they can speak. I have another way of speaking, and so mm-hmm. that's how this new show took roots. And as I started writing, I realized, whoa, 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 this is more than one show. <laughs> right? Maybe it's a book ultimately, mm-hmm. but I could wrap my hands around the medical part because we're in the middle of a medical crisis So with mm-hmm. the pandemic. So how we view the medical system, how we operate and interface with it, what we demand of it and what we need to know um, to be savvy consumers of whatever care is accessible to us, um, mm-hmm. that was something I could address in my piece, which is really, it's not, it's, it's a, a lot of incidents in the life of a young train. So I do include this part, you know, where the vendor is telling me, okay, white lady who wants to be black. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. You know? <laughs> um, and a number of other things that happen in the hospital and the whole idea of how class and race and tribe um, affect us in these moments that that's there's really no place for that stuff, you know? Right. So. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But I'm still an introvert, and then look at that. After talking all that long, but for the rest of the day, I will be holed up by myself, riding a walk. <laughs> we'll walk five miles. I'll watch a concert. I'll watch a book talk, and I won't mm-hmm. speak another word except to rehearse my show. <laughs> Wow. Well, it's been really, really lovely um, speaking to you, uh, Diane. Uh, congratulations on this, <clears throat> this this part one of the new work, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And, um, yeah, and, and let me know, you know, when Ancestors is finished. I really want to see that one, too, um, well, as well as all of the other iterations of this next, you know, turn in your life, you know, where you're telling us these great stories. And uh, yeah, and oh, a book would be very nice. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, I, I once nice. saw the the premiere last week. He said, "I loved your story. Where's the book?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a yeah. book publisher. Yeah, you know, so, or right. he sells publishers. So, yeah, so that oh. may be coming. But um, right mm-hmm. now, the, I'm I want to get it out there. And for mm-hmm. me, the stage is a faster turnover and more yeah. under my control than a book. Mm-hmm. But I I think. I think book is in the is in the pipeline. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, just just my first time seeing you, you know, in uh, my stroke of luck. Um you um, you know, you take us on quite a journey and and all of your characters are, you know, we want to, you know, we really bond to them, you know, as as you introduce them to us. Uh, you know, 
but you're a reliable storyteller and 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 a great vehicle you know for for the for the journey you know we don't mind getting in buckling up and moving with you right you know well, through these various you know toss you know these 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 turns that you couldn't even imagine you know when you <laughs> turned on your ignition like right. you didn't know that was going to happen yeah. oh really that happened too like whoa yeah and then and except it's shorter you know cuz the other show is a 85 minute show so this one's 55 right. so it's mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, here's my yeah. the book publisher. Is what he sent me. Hugs and a warm thank you for an enchanting tale brilliantly told. Now let's do that book. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, you got a publisher in your in your corner. That's good. That's good. Just like John Ford, right? So, you know, right. um, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's very yeah. good. <laughs> well, thank you again for such a wonderful conversation. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing the work. And I'll probably write a little something-something for you, too. <laughs> thank you, Wanda. Thank you very much. And I, I'll send you the little blurbs that I've gotten back from people, okay. um, you know, through my website or whatever. Um, okay. They're short and sweet. Sure. But thank mm-hmm. you so much. Yeah. I always enjoy talking with you, and I look forward to your enjoying the show or experiencing it. Hopefully you enjoy it. Um, oh, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. Definitely, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. Anything that comes out of your repertoire, I'm sure, you know, in my in my books is a hit. <laughs> well, thank you. Actually, one person, one doctor who saw it already is asked me if I would do it at her hospital as a, um, you know, from the diversity, equity, inclusion um, committee with a talk back to open the conversation for physicians, which that mm-hmm. if that happens. And the show has legs that way. I think that would be wonderful because change is what we need. And education, a lot of people have taken this last, since the murder of George Floyd, a lot of white people and others have taken this as a time to educate themselves, to understand how we have arrived at the moment where we are and how to get us out of it. And so I am very, very heartened at the openness of uh, and this uh, people who they just want to know. Now, of course, there's some people who don't, but other people they just don't know and don't understand. Mm-hmm. But once given the images, given the stories, given the uh, the truth of how other people live, you know, then mm-hmm. there's a shift in attitude. Um, and uh, you know, just like people people talk about Greta. Thunberg, when they want to get on a plane, they think, well, what would Greta say? Baby, I better go on Zoom. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that was even before the pandemic. Um, so I think that that education, you know, just making, bringing, um, bringing uh, something, bringing things to heart, not just to mind, but to heart in a way that resonates is, is what it, my work is about. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Well, we definitely feel it. You know, it definitely really? resonates. So, yeah, yeah, it touches, it touches, it touches our hearts. So, yeah. So, that's your intention. You're doing it. <laughs> that's <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. You take good care. Thank you so much, and you be good. Okay, be well. Yes. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you, and the same to you. <laughs> all right. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you. You're welcome. 
So we're going to close the show with um, Alice Walker's, uh, not Alice Walker, excuse me, <laughs> looking at Alice Walker, um, Alice Coltrane's Journey into Sachananda. I think it's a really beautiful piece. <laughs> 